our esteemed uh, lead pastor, Alistair, was telling us when we, uh, as a staff, went out for a meal last week that um, he's now into food, but he used to not be. And before he got married, his weekly shop consisted of this, let me tell you. Drinkable yogurt, cheese strings, oranges, and frozen meals. And every week he went in, he um, bought five of each and took them home. Very convenient and easy. You don't need to think too much. You just get those five things uh, five times. And I guess he must have gone out for a meal, the other two. I don't know what he was doing with the other two. But he wasn't very concerned about food. We can fall into these extremes, can't we, of being obsessed, distracted, but then kind of convenient and kind of functional and perfunctory. These dangers also apply to our spiritual diets. We sometimes wonder why we feel uh, dissatisfied, bored, distracted. Because there is such a thing as spiritual nourishment and food. How much more important, maybe not more important practically, but in, in reality, um, as important, if not more, what we eat spiritually, how we eat spiritually. Today we're uh, continuing our series on brick and mortar. Uh, for the first eight weeks, we looked at the gospel and what that means for us. And since then, we'll be looking at the eight weeks of church. What is church? What are the pictures of church? How are we to engage as church? We've seen that we are Christ's body, that he is the head and we are the body. He cares for us like his own body. And today we're going to look at um, how this body is fed, how we are fed together. And we're going to see that we are fed each Sunday by word and by sacrament. By word and by sacrament. And you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to try and cram two uh, sermons into one, which is what I feared I was being asked to do. But it's not. It's just about what we're nourished by as we kind of gather each Sunday as we come together, a reflection really on that, of what the Bible says about how we're to come, how we're to receive, how we are to eat together. So why don't I pray for us now as we begin. God in heaven, Father, Son, and Spirit, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that we see um, in Christ life, a word made flesh, word that dwells among us, the bread of life, the one who comes and really nourishes our, our hearts and our souls. I pray that as we look um, at this big kind of picture of, of how we're nourished as we come um, on Sundays, that you would excite us about what you want to do in our midst, in our lives, in our hearts, in our spiritual stomachs, that you would do something here this morning by your spirit. And that whatever is of me and irrelevant and uh, not to be kind of taken on board, you would have fall away. But what is of you? Would you etch that in our hearts? Would you stir our appetites for and give us spiritual taste buds that, that long for you, long for what you offer us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at um, three quick things. Um, the setting of the table, what's on the table, and what the table points to. The setting of the table um, what's on the table, what's set on the table, and what the table points to. So the setting of the table, as we come to the table, there is a setting. There is a um, setting around um, the table that we come to each Sunday. With the Bible, we enter a, a strange new world, as one theologian uh, called it. The Bible is incarnational storytelling. There's a story there. 
stories with flesh and bone, that the word really became flesh. And while we might want to kind of systematize it to, to the nth degree, actually it's about stories, it's about people, it's about real flesh and bone. Storytelling creates a world that is real and that we can actually enter into and be our, we are invited into that. We are invited into a new story. We are invited into a world other than ourselves, a world bigger actually than ourselves. Scripture, as it reveals God, pulls us into this revealing and invites us to be participants in it. There is a story that we're kind of drawn into that's bigger than ourselves. And as we enter into this strange new world, I think we're to develop a different kind of imagination. What I'm going to call uh, this morning a, a sacramental um, imagination. Not sacramental as in the city in America, but sacramental as in the sacrament, right? Just to be clear. A sacrament is something mysterious, but not as in something puzzling to be solved, but something hidden that is to be revealed. It's something revealing or unveiling God to us. So in Revelation, the apocalypse, something is, is, is hidden, but the, the curtain is open and we can see beyond the veil. Something is opened to us. If something is sacramental, it means it's inviting us to participate in the life and love of God and is unveiling the mystery of God's presence and glory to us. So a sacramental imagination is a view of the world that sees all things created as pointing to or, or, or signifying the creator. That it's not just when we come on Sunday and we come to this table that something happens or that we can see God, but that there is something in, in everything. It points uh, to the creator as art points to the artist. And so for the person immersed in this imagination, the universe is a sacramental place where everything shows God's glory and love. From the flash of lightning and crash of thunder to the industry of an ant. They're back, folks. They're coming back. From the sun's slow arc through the sky to the mother's love of a child. From the sound snow makes when it falls. That kind of soundless sound. To the crunch of fresh autumn leaves underneath your feet. From a perfectly cooked fried egg or perfectly ripe nectarine. They all reveal something of God's glory, of love, of provision to us. And so a poem puts it quite well. It's the Elixir by George Herbert. He says this, Teach me, O my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything to do as for thee. A man that looks on glass, on it may stay his eye, or if he pleaseth, through it pass, and then the heaven spy. So it's just a couple of stanzas from it, but it's talking about the way that we see the world, that, that we can kind of look, as we look on glass, we can either stare at the glass and look at the glass, so this is a nice piece of glass, or look beyond the glass and see what's actually there and what's uh, beyond it. And so as we look on something that's in front of us, where, whether it is a, a perfectly ripe avocado or, um, or, or, or a cup of coffee, we actually look beyond it to the goodness of God, to a creator who um, enables us to enjoy these things. We need our worlds opened up, you see. We need our eyes um, not just kind of um, narrowed and, and head down on our smartphones, walking into lampposts, as you see sometimes uh, in videos on, on YouTube. But we're to look beyond, we're to look above, we're to look behind. Think of a group of people in a windowless warehouse 
who have been born there and where everything they need to live is there. There are no exits, but they don't try to leave. They eat gruel three times a day, but they don't know any different. That's all that they've known. Until one day, a package is dropped in. No one knew how it got there, but it contains photos of rocky mountains and a case of perfectly ripe nectarine. They're Miriam's favorite fruit, by the way. Their world would be opened up, wouldn't it? From that warehouse, from that focusing on, on, on just what's in front of their face. Even our cultural expressions of joy revolve around the confines of breaking the confines we find ourselves in. Cultural pieces such as, as this um, from Pharrell Williams. Sunshine, she's here, you can take away. I'm a hot air balloon, I could go to space. With the air, I don't care, baby. By the way, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy to, yeah. <laughs> think we are, are kind of uh, enclosed um, in something that, that just sees the here and now, the physical and what we can see, but actually as a story we're invited into something different. As a sacramental imagination we are called to, to see behind the curtain and see beyond what we can actually see. So that's the setting of the table. And a quick thing on the setting of the table too from a different angle. We know that the Lord is our shepherd, don't we, in Psalm 23? But we often forget that the host is the Lord too, right? He often prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He feeds us and our cup overflows. The setting of the table is done for us. We come and we enter and we come to the table as we are, as uh, we can with open hands and, and empty hearts. So what is set on the table? That's the setting of the table. What is set on the table? Well, word and sacrament, as we've said. I'm going to look on how we're to be nourished as we come to church each Sunday and we receive the word read and, and preached and, and as we receive the, the sacrament, the Lord's table of communion. Word and sacrament as spiritual nourishment. It's food for us in the body of Christ. Together, we come and eat together. We are, come, we are to come to the table together. You see, we often go elsewhere, don't we, for nourishment. We look for nourishment in, in the things that we think will um, ultimately satisfy us. They are our functional uh, saviors, those things in our lives that are good things, that have become God things. We often go elsewhere to look for nourishment. And so that's why in, in Isaiah, it's so powerful and so kind of liberating and inviting when, when, when he says this, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here, that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. We are to be nourished, brothers and sisters, as we come, as we gather each week, by God's word, the scriptures. The rich food in the passage is taken in by listening. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. That's what um, the people are told. And it's a picture, actually, of this eating that is repeated in the Bible. Um, in Revelation 10, John um, in Patmos 
in this kind of apocalypse where things are kind of opened up for him, right? He sees a, a huge angel in, in, in Revelation 10, one foot planted in the ocean and the other on the continent with a book in his hand. From this land, sea, pulpit that's, uh, that's way more impressive than, than what's going on here, the angel was preaching from the book, a sermon explosive with, with thunder. And in, 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 chapter, in verse 8 it says this, Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me this little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. John's probably thinking, You what? Say it again, eat, 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 eat it, eat the scroll. John would have been reminded of Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophets in the Old Testament who were also given the same instruction. They were not just to listen to it or to read it, they were to eat it. Get it into their nerve endings, their reflexes, their imagination, integrated into their lives, into prayer, so that it got into their bones, so that it changed their lives, so that it spilled out into their prophetic proclamation. He's told to eat the book, to eat the scroll. Interestingly, in uh, Revelation, it continues this. And the angel said to me, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. You see, it's not an easy eat. For many of us, this is our experience. We find that the initial experience of the Bible is sweet. We find it helpful and, and, and locating of ourselves there. We find hope in the blessings and promises of God. We might memorize things that actually help us get through difficult things that, that help us not feel um, alone in the dark. But soon we find that not everything is as it once was. That initial sweet, uh, sweet taste sits bitter in our stomach. It can do. What, finding ourselves in this book is wonderful initially, but in the end, we, we realize that it's not there to flatter us, but to involve us into a new story, a new reality, God's reality that is beyond um, our fantasies for ourselves. There are hard things there, hard things to get your head around, to hear, to obey, to digest. John gets indigestion in and heartburn. We might do that too. We might get that too. And so we end up systematizing um, things overtly, of extracting principles and, and sanitizing the Bible, we reduce it to what we can handle because it's hard. But we can't domesticate it without muzzling it. The Bible makes us participants in the world of God's being and action, but we don't participate on our own terms. We don't get to make up the plot, take out the parts we don't like or decide what character we're going to be. You know, in Hebrews 4, it says this, for the word of God is living, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word has generative power. When he speaks, things happen. By the word, the creation uh, came to be. At his word, uh, things were made. At his word, things happen. Things happen as we let these words call forth something to stimulate, to transform, to challenge, to rebuke, to encourage each one of us. Only then do we realize we're actually engaging with the God whose words they are rather than our own thoughts and ideas. 
because I realized this fairly early on, but still shocking to me. When God seems to like exactly the same things I like, hates the same people that I hate, and rubber stamps the ethics that I have, then maybe it's because I've just made him up in my own image. Just a bigger, slightly more powerful version, slightly more white hair than I have now. But just a bigger version of me. Patrick Morley in his book, The Man in the Mirror, says this, the turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. The reality is that we are actually waiting for a word that we cannot speak to ourselves. We are waiting for a word that we cannot speak to ourselves. Deep down, we long for this. That's what scripture is. It's something that's God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we are to eat the book. Eat this book. That's the name of Eugene Peterson's uh, book, where I'm getting a fair amount of this from. Eat this book. Whether it feels bitter or sweet, we'll allow it to change us. Eugene Peterson says this. Eat this book is the metaphor of choice for focusing our attention on what is involved in reading our Holy Scriptures formatively. That is, in such a way that the Holy Spirit uses them to form Christ in us. We're not interested in knowing more, but becoming more. We're not to just know more, but we're to become more. He continues, Christians feed on Holy Scripture, which nurtures the Holy Community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture, we assimilate it, take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. We are to eat this book, to participate in the story by taking the word of God in. Eat this book. You can remember that, right? The picture of eating this book. <laughs> to chew on it, to meditate on it, to, to do as a, a dog would do on a bone. That's the, the, the Hebrew word apparently in, 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 in Psalm 1. Talking about meditating on God's law. It's like a, a, a crow cooing over something. A, a, a lion um, grumbling and growling over its prey. We are to feed by eating this book. But next, we are to feed on Christ as we come to the table as well. The Lord's table, uh, week by week, communion together. This is instituted by Jesus for us to participate in, to take in, and to which he attaches his promises of grace. This is one of the sacraments of the church. I've talked about a sacramental uh, kind of um, imagination, but these are the sacraments um, of the church. Next week, we have Jesse's baptism, which we're looking forward to. Um, he's here with us, and we'll be there next week. Um, but today, and each week, we come to communion together. Week by week, we come to be nourished and fed at the table. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ in the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink 
um, this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what we do here each uh, week is, is participate in something. Um, it's a picture to remind us of what happened, a picture to remind us um, of what's going on, the reality that's there. It's a proclamation of Christ's self-giving sacrifice of love for us. And it's also a participation in a bigger reality. We enter into it. We really do um, eat of him when we eat. And chapter 10 says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is that not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is that not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so this bread and wine uh, that we receive uh, each Sunday is, we should say, the grape juice and wafer that we've been doing uh, recently is a participation in a bigger reality than we have here now. Bigger than Robson Square, uh, May 2022, we are given, not just these things in, in of, of themselves, we are given heavenly sustenance, heavenly food. In the sacrament of Holy Communion, we taste afresh the tangible offer of life today. It's a holy mystery that draws together heaven and earth, the seen and unseen, tangible and intangible. It's a picture of, and participation in the reality that we are fed from a different source, satisfied in a different way and given a different kind of life, a forever kind of life that's eternal, not just in its quantity, but in its quality as well. This bread is offered freely as it has been broken like Christ's body. The wine is available to us because it's been poured out like Christ's blood. We are reminded of this every time we receive um, from the Lord's table, when we come for communion. Not just in our minds, but with our bodies. We hold, we taste, we smell, we eat. It's made real to us so that we too might be taken, blessed, broken, and given. And so as we receive this by faith, we really do participate in Christ's presence. So we really are united to Christ himself. We really take our place as his body of which he is the head. Now, it's one of my greatest privileges of being a pastor, um, full stop, but here amongst us is, is to stand down here and to say these words as people receive communion. This is the body of Christ which is given for you and his blood that was shed for you. Feed on him in your heart by faith, with thanksgiving and drink this in remembrance that his blood was shed for you and be thankful and so as we physically eat bread and drink the wine and we do so in faith we really do eat of him we really do have heavenly food and drink it really is to feed us to nourish us to bring us real life how does this fit into real life you might well say to me now in your, in your thoughts. Lloyd, it's all so mundane though, right? Sunday mornings, it's so general. Everything's so unspectacular. You're talking about heavenly food and it just doesn't feel like that at all. For example, when we come, um, parking is so strange. When you drive in, it's like entering a cross between a dungeon and a maze and a racetrack. It's dark down here. There's no actual light. You could have more scripture readings. Preaching is not bad when you guys are on decent form. Communion is just so unspectacular. You line up at the side here. Uh, you have to wait. You're not sure who to let through. Should I go now or wait till the end? Um, if you let too many people in, then, then, then 
you'll feel good about yourself, but then the people behind will be like throwing daggers at you from behind because then they have to wait for longer. It's just awkward, Lloyd. It doesn't feel like heavenly nourishment. What are you on about? I get it. I get it. I have to wait there as well sometimes. But it is. It is to nourish us. Maybe it's like everyday meals. We can look down on those um, that are unspectacular and forget the, the kind of cumulative effect they have on keeping our bodies healthy. I might remember oysters from the oyster shack on the Isle of Skye just around the corner from the Talisker Whiskey Distillery. Or a perfect steak that my brother cooked when we were in Hawaii. Or the, that first Thanksgiving in Canada when someone put marshmallows on top of mashed sweet potato. <laughs> what? I easily forget the thousands upon thousands, literally thousands, of meals that have literally grown, energized, and sustained my body that were unspectacular but were hugely important and nourished me to this day. What if it's supposed to be this way? What if it's meant to be this way? What if it's meant to be that this table points us um, to the future, to beyond what happens here? And we are to develop a, an appetite the taste buds for that. So what does the table point to? Well, I often reflect on, on beauty and how it, beauty always is followed by um, mourning of its absence. Have you noticed that? We see a beautiful scene. We want to drink it in to stay there forever. So we take a photo. We want to share it with others. But it never captures the capturing of your own breath, does it? It never looks quite as good on your phone or on your camera, even if you blow up in a computer. You don't get the wonder. There's always an absence that comes with beauty that needs to be reckoned with. I think that's what it's like with food as well. People try and take photos of it. I don't know what we did before, like, you know, cameras and Instagram on our phone. People take photos. I'm like, just, just eat it. Enjoy it. You can never capture the flavor or the taste or the sensation to share it. Only last seconds, right? It's momentary. It always ends. Even if you are at an all-you-can-eat buffet, it ends, folks. That moment where hunger meets taste, meets newness and freshness, is so delightful, but it's so momentary. You might wonder whether it's worth it, because you kind of have to mourn its absence. You kind of want it for the rest of your life. Oh, I want to have it just exactly like it was in that place, that time. Why is it like this? I wonder if God could have made us to be like cars that get nourished with petrol. We go to the gas station after three or four weeks, depending on how expensive gas is. Um, we fill up and we're good to go for the next two, three weeks. We're good. It would make us much more productive. God, I think that would give us more time. We'd stop thinking about food and preparing food and wondering about food and where we're going to get food and shopping for food. It would make us more productive. But it's not like that, is it? Or even if we were like bears who gorged on salmon, salmon and more salmon, until they went into this food coma and only needed to eat months later. I would love for that to be the case. But we were not made like that, physically or spiritually. And here's me speculating as to why. Number one, perhaps it's to remind us of our need. We need something from outside of us to nourish us every day. We can't do it alone. We need food regularly to grow, to, to, to keep going. 
just like we need the nourishment of word and sacrament regularly, weekly. And so we come and we do that together. We're reminded of our need together, that we're not alone in this, that we need this heavenly food. We need to be pointed beyond ourselves. We need to be pointed to a God who provides, that we see in Scripture uh, that he provided for them in Eden. He provided for them in Egypt. He provided for them in the wilderness. He provided for us in all things. Need is the precursor to filling. When we realize what we need, we can actually go to the right place and we come to that together. Reminds us of our need. Secondly, we need the regular reminder of how our, our spiritual taste buds are to acquire the taste of delight. We are to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to develop these spiritual taste buds. We do that as we are fed by word and sacrament each week. I say to, to, to Joey, when he doesn't like the taste of something, keep trying it. It takes 50 times to learn to like this flavor. But boy, when you do, you really love it. I learned to love olives, um, shiitake mushrooms, tofu, um, wine. I didn't get them at all growing up. I was like, why do adults eat these things? This is disgusting. And you acquire it, right? It comes. Part of eating is that delight. We're invited into that. But spiritually, what if we're to acquire those um, taste buds that, that don't just settle for, for the mundane, but, but delight in delight? And the day before that my dad died, he was in the hospice he had not been able to eat solid food for, for several days. Um, he'd been drinking the food supplement called Ensure. Um, some of you know that. I think it's a, yeah, people work out and also like eat, drink those sort of things as well. He would uh, have had Ensure, but there was no delight. Since as early as I can remember, my dad has been obsessed with a fruit called durian. And no problem with enjoying a fruit. We all have our favorite fruits. But it's so pungent and smelly, it's actually banned in public spaces in Singapore and, and in Hong Kong, uh, where it's really common. It's banned, right? So you'll see in a lift, like, Durian with, like, a, a, like a stop sign, or, you know, like a, a cross through it, because you're not allowed it. You're not allowed it in air, airplanes and all those sort of things, because it smells so bad. Uh, we snuck it into the hospice uh, that day uh, before he died. <laughs> Maybe he was ready to go after that. I'm not sure. <laughs> We just gave him a spoonful of it and the delight in his face after eating Ensure uh, for, for several days was, was a sight to behold. Just as we're not supposed to, we're not made for food supplements, um, but for food that delights, so we are to seek to delight in what happens here on Sunday mornings together. Would we ask that we get glimpses of that delight as we feed on Christ together, as we receive heavenly food as we continue to acquire that taste beyond ourselves to heaven, that we ask that we would taste and see that the Lord is good, that we would treasure the word of God's mouth more than our portion of food, that we would taste delight as we feed on him in our hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. We need to learn to delight. That's one of my prayers in, in recent times has been to understand what this verse means um, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I've realized that I'm often asleep to my own desires. That's how I've kind of um, grown up in my family, that I just kind of, um, I'm asleep to, to really what I want. I don't actually know what I want. What do you want? Yeah, let's do that. I, 
that's part of li living in a collective culture, a culture um, that, 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 that values the collective more than an individual. I don't actually know what I want. I'm saying to God, would you teach me what it means to delight in you? And then maybe that means that the light, uh, that, that, that desire will come. Actually, he will give us desires, heart desires that I've never actually known in my own heart. But when I delight in the Lord, the desires will become live, that my heart will, will grow, will be, will be less like stone and more fleshy and, and, and beating um, his heart for me and for others around me. Delight yourself in the Lord. What if this heavenly food is to increase our delight, to, to give us taste buds that taste what it means to delight in the Lord? What if in our sacramental imagination we see these moments that we're here, that are mundane, that seem mundane, but actually are pointing to heavenly food, heavenly beauty and true delight? Finally, as we feed on him today, as we feast week by week on word and sacrament, we are to allow this eating to point us to the future. We see our own need. We see that we need to learn to delight. And we see that we need to be pointed to the future. There is a heavenly feast that the Bible always refers to. I love it. Time and time again, a heavenly banquet we're promised. The wedding supper of the Lamb, the heavenly feast, where we will eat and feast Heavenly food, properly, truly, eternally, where we savor, boy, do we savor what we are just getting a taste of now, what we are just pointed towards now. We get glimpses now. We'll be immersed in it then. If the food that we eat now is equivalent of, of eating sherbet, 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 <laughs> and what we have there is like popping candy that comes alive in your mouth, and, uh, and, 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 and comes in colors and has you feeling different things. Uh, if what we're having now is just mundane and what we have there actually comes to life, are you ready? Hebrews 10 says this, do not neglect to meet together as the habit um, of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see that day drawing near. As we come and eat together, as we feast on his word, as we feast on, on him, let's not stop meeting together to encourage one another, to point there, to see that day approaching and say to each other, come on, let's eat some more, let's feast together, come and eat together. Will you acquire the taste of heaven as you eat this book, as you feed on Christ in your heart by faith? He is the true word of God. He is the whole alphabet from alpha to omega, A to Z. He's all the yeses of God. He's the word of God uh, that, that comes and dwells among us. He's the bread of life who gives himself to us. He has taken, beaten, broken, and given to us so that we might eat. That we need not eat um, the empty foods that we are offered that looks good but doesn't actually nourish us. He gives us real food. He gives us himself. He gives us real life, real nourishment, real delight. Come and eat. The table is ready. Come to be readied for that heavenly feast.